Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hope Solo Speaks. I'm Hope. Thank you for joining me on this journey. This show breaks barriers, speaks truth, shares life experiences, and opens eyes. I've always said silence never changed the world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the fourth episode of Hope Solo Speaks. Always one of my favorite times of the year is March Madness. When I think of NCAA basketball and the tournament, I think of brackets, of Cinderella stories, of unsung heroes, of soon-to-be-drafted young men and women, and I think of coaches with big personalities. I think of UNC and Duke, of Baylor and Gonzaga. I think of Michigan State and Arizona. What I have personally experienced and have come to know is that sport has a great potential to bring many families together. Some families bond over Sunday NFL games, some over Saturday EPL matches. My family bonded in the month of March. I loved basketball, and I was a defensive specialist, not the best shooter, but I did have dreams to play in college, and I actually did have a few offers. My father, my brother, and I filled out a bracket every year. We talked shit to one another, placed bets, and laughed and felt heartbreak when our Cinderella teams lost. We cheered for upsets. It gave us something to do together, an excuse to call one another just to gloat. My husband's family also bonded over college basketball. Jeremy, his father, and his brother have attended several Final Fours. We are our own family now, who also bonds over sport, mainly over the Olympics, the World Cup, and over college basketball. As much as we are a sports family, things have changed in the past two years. We had tickets to the tournament two years ago, and because of the pandemic, we were refunded. Then we had kids, and not to our surprise, but certainly to our exhaustion and oftentimes frustration, there was little time to catch the same forms of entertainment that we used to. So this year during March Madness, I have been reminded why I love college basketball so much. To me, there is something extra special about collegiate sports. To me, it seems more pure. I feel and see more heartbreak for these young men and women. I see more camaraderie. It's astonishing to me that everyone on the court is between 17 and 22 years old. With this comes young and honest mistakes on the court. Now, don't get me wrong. I see the skill of professional athletes, players in the NBA, the NFL, or in the WNBA. But I find beauty in the honest mistakes and in the rawness, the roughness around the edges. And I find collegiate sport much more removed from some of the ugliness that oftentimes follows professionalizing a sport. Not that college sports haven't been monetized or that the NCAA hasn't gotten a lot of things wrong, but something they did get right was the NCAA tournament format. And finally, this year with my kids now being two, I get to share March Madness excitement with my husband and with Vittorio and Lozen. The irony is that we don't want our kids to become athletes. We want them to be scientists, engineers. We want them to roam free on horseback in Mongolia. We want them to be happy and unencumbered and free. We also want them to change the world. It's a bit of a catch-22. For both of us growing up in families that were dominated by athletics, for both of us to have been elite athletes, and yet here we are not wanting our children to play, but still sharing collegiate basketball with our kids because it does bring joy and entertainment and beautiful memories to our household. Now, one of the biggest basketball names out of Washington State was Jason Terry. He went to Franklin High School. He was from Seattle. I lived on the eastern side of the state, and our schools oftentimes found an ass whooping when we met the teams on the other side of the mountains. Jason Terry did not stay in Washington State to play college basketball. 
Many coaches at the major universities in Washington share a common belief that our programs could be the best in the country if only we could get our homegrown athletes to stay in Washington. Well, Jason Terry left Seattle for the University of Arizona, and I'm guessing it was a decision that he never regretted. He played for a Hall of Fame coach, Lou Olson, who was a head coach for Arizona for 25 years. Jason was on the last West Coast team to win an NCAA championship in 1997, he was drafted 10th overall in the 1999 draft, and he played for 19 seasons in the NBA. He won an NBA championship in Dallas in 2011. Many of you know him as the Jet. He certainly was one of the best and most consistent players in college and in the NBA, and he still holds the seventh most career three-pointers in NBA history. He was named the NBA Sixth Man of the Year in 2009. He was a fourth quarter specialist, an elite shooter, and he was fast on the court. He retired in 2018 and he transitioned directly into coaching and is now the head coach of the Grand Rapids Gold in the NBA G League. Jason is here today to speak to me about his own March Madness memories, what it's like to be the father of five daughters, and how the transition into coaching has been. I was, I was thinking about kind of your career, my career, of course, both of us being from Washington State, and <laughs> I realized how seasoned we are, seasoned we are, because we both played in the Pac-10, not yes. the Pac-12. No, we go way, we go no. way back. The real Pac-10. And the real Pac-10. We were some of the OGs of the Pac-10. <laughs> yep, for sure, 100%. Uh, so... Right out of the gates, why did you choose Arizona over being a, a real dog? Right. Well, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to have to be brutally honest. I'm a diehard Husky. Like, it, it runs through my veins. My mother graduated from UW. My cousin was one of the greatest football players to ever play at Washington. Um, Ron Miles was now a defensive back coach. He's been in the league for – or secondary coach in the NFL for – almost 20 years now. He's with the Colts now. Um, I was a popcorn vendor at the Husky football and basketball games. Like, so I'm a diehard Husky fan. So it was tough. It was a very tough decision for me at the time. Um, but, you know, it's just some about the, the cactus and the desert and the sunshine when it's October and it's still 85 degrees and nobody ain't got no clothes on. So, so you're telling me it was about the weather, not about the program. Yeah, nah, it was definitely about <laughs> Lou Olson in the program. And Damon Stoudemire from the Northwest is a big mentor of mine. And also Michael Dickerson, who was from the, our area in Washington State, was a freshman on the University of Arizona's team when I took my visit there. So he kind of kidnapped me, locked me in a room and convinced me to decommit from Washington and go to Arizona. So it all makes sense now. It all makes sense. They kidnapped you. Yep, that's what happened. That, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I hear you. So, you know, I'm from eastern Washington, oh, uh, the okay. other side of the mountains. Uh, my husband is is more of a Seattle guy. Uh, we are both Huskies. I went to Richland High School. Okay. You, you know RHS, right? Yeah, I know Richland, yeah. Because we would show up at the high school state tournaments, and we, we'd get our asses beat. We'd get our asses <laughs> beat by the teams on, on the west western side of the state. Yep, that's kind of 
what happened when the East Siders came over to town, you know? But not hey, in my sport, not in soccer. No, not in <laughs> soccer, though. I'll give you that one. Or football sure. or baseball, mind you. Very, very true. Yeah, man. Growing up in Seattle, such a rich, rich history when it comes to, to basketball. We've had some great players of the past, obviously, like yourself, great players presently. Um, Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, Brandon Roy, Doug Christie. You know, you could, you could go on and on and on and on. Um, Isaiah Thomas, of course. How do you compare basketball in Seattle um, in comparison to the rest of the country, different places in the country? Well, I think we're a very underrated um, basketball landscape, um, how it compares to the rest of the country. I mean, we are now, you know, staking our claim on, on the basketball soil. And um, it's all due to the brotherhood and to the rich tradition, you know, of the guys that came before us. I know for myself, it was Doug Christie. Um, for others, it's like myself and Jamal and B-Roy. And then now, you know, with Isaiah, Paulo Benchero, Benchero, you know, the new guys coming up. Um, even baby boy, DeJounte Murray. Zach Levine, you know, there's some young stars uh, in the league now. And I think it's all you got to give a lot of credit due to like Jamal. And, you know, this is a special day. And I'm glad I'm able to speak to you today because today he announced his retirement from basketball. And it's not very often a guy in his final game. I mean, there's only like one other guy I can name. And that's the great late Kobe Bryant who scored 60 points in their last game. You know, Maul had 50 and I was able to be there in his last game. Now it ended so soon. Like a lot of us and you've played professionally and for a long time. And, you know, as a player, you want to be able to go out on your own accord when you're time, when you're ready. And I always thought Jamal had more basketball in him. Now today he made that not the case, but you know, he's a founding father of the Pacific Northwest and uh, he'll ever for be remembered. His legacy is for, you know, not only the way he played the game, but the way he gave back to his community and continues to be that guiding light for future generations. I have mad respect when players make the decision to retire and, and stick with it because they're making a decision um, after a really long career, commitment to the game, commitment to their family. I mean, a lot goes into these decisions, as you know, when you retired. Um, so hopefully, you know, he, he has a long path to happiness in front of him. Do you think he's going to get into well, he's really involved, obviously, in the community of Seattle. Um, I don't know. Do, do you think he's going to get into higher levels of coaching or is he going to kind of stick to the, the community and, and develop the game there? You know what? Knowing Jamal and, and his basketball IQ, his basketball acumen, and I've seen him do both. And, and I was able to be blessed enough to be able to do both in my career path. But broadcasting, I've, I've seen him do some good things uh, with TNT and Turner. He has a bright future there if he chooses. But I've also seen him find the joy and the love on the sidelines and coaching his son. Like, it's just a breath of fresh air to see and, you know, understanding his love and joy for the game. It's just truly amazing. Uh, you said something that resonated with me uh, just a minute ago, and that was just about him finding his happiness, you know, after he's done playing or whatnot. How, how about you and your transition? I know this is supposed to be about me, but a lot of times when I come on podcasts, I still like to, Ask the host. No, man, I love to have a conversation. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a media personality. I, I hate asking questions. Honestly, I just like to converse. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. How, how was it for you trying to find your happiness after you retired from the sport? It, it. 
everything changed in the blink of an eye. And I'm not just talking about walking away from the game, walking away from the sport, everything I've known for my entire life, 20 years on the national team. Um, but we also moved out of Washington state. We found 60 acres in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, we wanted privacy. The media was awful to us in, in Seattle. You know, we had no privacy. So we wanted, we wanted to, to get a sense of just, um, you know, gaining control back of our lives. Um, so we found this beautiful piece of land. We moved from the West coast to the Southeast. That in itself is completely different than anything I've known on the West coast. Um, and, uh, and then we, we tried to start a family. So it, it, I had so much change that I didn't really miss the game that much. I had so much other focus going on. So I think it was the right time. Yeah, oftentimes, man, when you shift your focus and, and step away from something that you've been a part of for, you know, you got to go back to you like when you're a little kid, like six, seven years old out there on the soccer fields. Right. And now you're, you're, you're off into something else. Um, you find happiness there and in itself. So I'm happy for you. Glad you're there. Miss you in the spotlight, obviously, because I'm a fan, <laughs> but, but glad you and, and Jay are doing well. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, uh, you know, before we turn the page about Jamal Crawford. Um, have you been to his event that he hosts in Seattle, the uh, cross, Jay Crossover event? Oh, for sure. My last appearance, I had to go head to head with Zach Levine and that, and that was exactly what it was. My last appearance. Done so. Now I still showed up and showed out. Don't I'm always do that, especially when you're back home playing again in front of people that you hadn't seen in years. Cause you know, as no well, <laughs> the Seattle basketball community is one of the greatest. Like it, it's brutal because it's it, they still think they still got it from when they was in high school. Like your cross town rival will show up in Rainer Beach and they'll be in the crowd cheering like this back Rainer Beach Franklin from 1995. Like it's like, no, nah, those days are gone. But you know, but they but they they celebrate greatness. They 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 also, you know, um applaud you but they still like to root against you. But that's what rivalries are all about. You know, you miss that in sports from time to time, but the crossover is amazing. He's had some amazing people come through and bless the league. And it's something that we want to continue to grow and be a part of. Shit, you got it done at every level. And I, I think back to some of the best athletes that I've ever played with, um, the Carly Lloyds of the world, for instance. And I can't think of too many athletes who have won NWSL championship, Olympic gold, World Cup championship, and a high school championship. And you, you've got it done at every single level. That's mad respect. It's not easy to do. And I think a lot of people look back and wish, wish they had the, the trifecta. Um, it, it's really pretty amazing what, what you've accomplished. Uh, I was hoping you could walk us through and the listeners just to entertain us a little bit about your 2011 uh, championship with Dallas. No doubt. I mean, for me, it's it's easy for me because one, I have a tremendous faith in God and, you know, he has given me a purpose in life. And so every time I stepped on the floor, I just served as an inspiration. You know, I was playing a game, you know, that I love, that I was a fan of. So so it was easy for me. I didn't see it as a job. So every time I stepped out there, you know, my thing was I play for the win. Because at the end of the day, I mean, what else is there? You want to be the last man, last woman standing holding up that trophy, talking about, look at me, like I'm a champion. Like to me, that means something. And so whether I'm coaching or I was playing like in 2011, um, it meant something, 
You know, I, I was blessed and fortunate to be traded from Atlanta to Dallas, where I had never played in the playoffs, to Dallas in 0405, where I had an opportunity to finally compete in the postseason and really play for something at the highest level. And so getting to the championship in 0506, playing against Miami, being up with a 2-0 series lead and losing really took me to a place in my career and my life where I had to figure out, okay, is this what you really want to do? Is this what you really want to chase after? Um, because we had the championship and it was right there in our grasp and Shaq and D Wade and GP, my childhood idol, they snatched it away from us. Uh, but it wasn't our time. And a lot of times to realize greatness and to be a champion, you have to fail first. And I know you've heard that before, but you know, going through that failure and realizing that just fueled the fire, motivated me, uh, myself, Dirk, my teammates, the city of Dallas to get back to that stage. And I knew once we had got back to that stage in 2011, that it didn't matter what team we were playing against or who was on the opposing team, we were going to get the job done. And it just so happened to be that same Miami Heat team, different names, different players, except for D-Wade. So they were, they were picked to win it all, man. They were picked to win not one, not two, not three, not four, but, you know, as the saying goes, but we just wouldn't be denied in our moment. And uh, we played for the win. Again, it, I got to give a lot of credit to my teammates. Like Jason Kidd at his age, he was That's chasing kidding. the same thing, you know, and he had went to the finals um, twice and didn't win. And so in his later years, this was his opportunity. And, you know, he would just do things on the floor that just had you in awe. And it's like if he's 35, 36 and he's able to pick up LeBron James full court and like play back to backs and just, yeah, how are you not inspired? Like this guy's a Hall of Famer. Like and to me, it just it was just all the motivation I ever needed. And, you know, I had some other good teammates, Tyson Chandler, Sean Marion. That's one thing I can honestly tell you, Hope, like on my journey. And again, I've amassed some individual success, but more importantly, my team success that I've had, I've played with some great players. Like, I'm not going to discredit that whatsoever. And I enjoyed every single minute of it because, like, when I can look back and say I've played with Kevin Garnett, Hall of Famer, Dirk Nowitzki, Hall of Famer, Sean Marion, Hall of Famer, Giannis Antetokounmpo, two-time MVP, James Harden, MVP. Like, I've just been blessed and fortunate to play with Hall of Fame players, but more than that, Hall of Fame people. Like, to me, that's what means more than anything, especially in sports. And now that I'm coaching, is I try to teach all my guys is, man, you could be the greatest player in the world, but if you're not a great person, nobody really cares what your story is. Like, your, your legacy will never be remembered because you didn't treat people right. And so that's just, you know, kind of how I like to walk my guys through it. You know, I was thinking maybe you were the common denominator about making everybody great around you. Something to think about. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I tried to, you know, I'm, I was the type of guy like, I'm going to be honest with you. If we flew into a city and we had a day off or a day in between, it was like, look, the party bus is pulling up. Everybody's on that bus and we all going out. We're not going <laughs> to leave no man behind unless he chooses to. And then I knew like, OK, we was out all night. OK, that next day. We got to get it done and we can hold each other accountable. So, yeah, I was the glue guy, man. And, you know, I, I really relished in that role. But I wanted to see everybody happy as much as I wanted to hit the game winning shot. Like if my teammate hit it, I was just as happy as if I had made it myself. I'm like the perfect teammate. Honestly, I wish I had I had more teammates who cared less about the ball and, and more about winning. Looking back, I might I might have had one or two teams that made everybody around them feel like this is something unique and special and you're lucky to have it that many times in your life honestly 
you, you really are. No, for sure. And like you said, like those are the special teams. Like you remember those teams more than the other ones, like for real, because of that bond and that chemistry you all had and the stories you can tell, like it's, it's priceless. All right. So in the spirit of March Madness, you got to take us back to your NCAA championship, your number four seed with Arizona Wildcats playing the number one seed. Again, the, the Wildcats, right? Kentucky Wildcats. Yep. Um, this is in 1997. You're a sophomore? Yep. Sophomore year. You got to tell me about the run. What was it like? The, the run was amazing. Like just being at that age, I think I probably was 19 years old at the time. And Baby. <laughs> yeah, just a baby, man. And uh, again, it was almost like, like I talked about, it's just the, you know, f- failing. Like my freshman year, I was to be the sixth man on that team. And we had high hopes and aspirations of winning the championship because we had some seniors that had already been to a final four and they lost in the final four, but we lose to Kansas in the sweet 16. So now this year, all the seniors are gone. It's just four of us, Michael Dickerson, Miles Simon, AJ Bramlett remaining. And so we actually knocked off three number one seeds, the only team in NCAA history to knock off three number one seeds. And Kansas so happened to be the first one we knocked off. And they had the same guys returning from the year before, Jock Bond, Paul Pierce, Ray for Friends. So they had an NBA squad. And so we knocked them off. And then we beat Providence in the uh, Elite Eight. And then we get to the Final Four. And the Final Four was like, okay, dang, we got to play North Carolina first. So now we're playing Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter. And Dean Smith is their coach. And it's like, man, just all this greatness. And then we knocked them off. So now we're in the championship game. And it's like, oh, my God. Now it's Kentucky, the, the defending champs. And it's like they got Ron Mercer. Derek Anderson was hurt. But they still had some Nazi Muhammad and Jamal Magur, some big guys um, that were, you know, NBA players. So it's just a talented team. But what I'll never forget is, and it happened to me twice in my life and my career, is, you know, I, I grew up a single parent household, one of 10, and my mom, you know, worked two jobs, drove the Metro bus, and, you know, just a tremendous supporter. Like, she would ride to Greyhound on the Bay Area trip from Seattle to catch us play Stanford Cal or to catch us play Oregon. So she was always there. You know, Pops was in and out. He lived in Tacoma, but he was a part of my life, but, you know, kind of from the outside in. He didn't live with us. So that year, 97, in the national championship, they both came to every round, but they never sat by each other. So you can imagine me, 19 years old, I'm just looking like every game, like, okay, mom's over there, pop's over there. So in Indianapolis, in that national championship game, we win. And so I do it again. I pan the crowd and I look up and it's mom and pops and they're freaking hugging. Yes. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. But it's just the power of sports, you know, it and is. then mm-hmm. I can fast forward. And in 2011, I got the same like instant flashback. And I look up there on the stage and both of them sitting there like, that's our boy. And I think that's one of the proudest moments for me. Two of the proudest moments I can ever say, like, damn, I did that. You know, I brought those two together. So that was that that was huge, man. And then the other one would just be remembering, um, you know, Coach Lute Olsen and how hard it was for him to win a championship his whole career. And then it was finally us. We were the team to do it. And his wife, Bobby, was there with him, who was just the backbone. She was like the backbone of, of the program, really. You know, she helped in recruiting. Uh, if you needed to talk, she was there for you. And uh, he and her embraced right there at the end. She had passed away a couple of years later, but 
you know, just seeing her smile and his smile and to know how much it meant to them. And for us to have that impact on that man and his career, like that, that was big time, man. And I'm not super emotional, but man. I, well, you're making me emotional yeah, right now. Yeah, that was a tearjerker. Nah, for sure. It so, is the power of sport. And that's what this yeah. episode is about, is how, you know, even something as simple as watching March Madness can bring families together. Or we're sure. watching an NFL game on a Sunday or the EPL matches on Saturday. There's something special in sports. And your story is, oh, man, you gave me the chills first. And then I felt myself tearing up. So, man, incredible, truly incredible. Did you accomplish everything that you wanted when it came to your career and your playing career? You know what? It's hard to say I did not, but what I would have loved to do was win another NBA championship. Because, oh, he's getting greedy over here. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, when you play 19 years and you can only say you won one, it's like, eh. I played four years high school, won two. I played four years college, won one. Okay, that's a little bit cool. But, man, it would have been nice to win one more world championship because uh, I look at, like, D-Wade got three and oh, two. Oh, who's counting yeah, on their Ray rings, Allen got man? You three. got your one. Can you imagine uh, retiring if you didn't get your one? Oh, throw up. I'm, I'm barking. <laughs> You'd, st you'd still be playing. <laughs> yeah, right. I would be trying. I sure mm -hmm. would be on somebody's team. Man, I was on the USA team for 20 plus years and I got mm -hmm. one chip. What? Well, I mean, I got a couple gold medals in the Olympics, but I got one World Cup. But just one World Cup, huh? One World Cup. I got bronze, silver and, and gold finally. It's crazy because if you look at your teams, you guys have so much dominance. Tell me You would think like you guys swept every, you know, single Olympic competition. Yeah. And uh it shows you how hard it is, though, right? Definitely. You know, everything has to come together at the right time. And, and we were never blessed with incredible coaches. You know, looking mm -hmm. back again, looking back, I had a, a couple influential coaches, one of them being in college, the other when I was a youth player. But in my professional career, um, not as much. Right. And so, and, and again, you've been coached by some of the greatest. You had it all, buddy. You had it all. No, nah, I'm blessed. <laughs> no, for sure. And I think. That's what led me to my career path in coach is some of those influences and understanding the power of a coach, of a leader, right? That can only that can not only um, draw up the best game winning play, but that could mentor, that could teach, encourage and, and give you um, inspiration, you know, empower you to be great. And a lot of my coaches did that. And so I give them a lot of credit. And that's why I coach today, like just to, to have that impact on, on my players. How is it going? I, I am sorry to tell you that I'm a little bit naive when it comes to the G League, but you're you're coaching for the Denver Nuggets affiliate team, which is the Grand Rapids Gold. You had what you had Isaiah Thomas playing for you. you Listen, dream come true. Yeah, man. Like when I tell you Isaiah Thomas, like he was six years old. We lived in Tacoma, Washington at the time, and he would be shooting in my backyard until the till it was dark. Like he'd still be out there bouncing that ball. And we're looking, we're like, man, that's little Isaiah. But you're never thinking, man, one day Isaiah going to make it to the NBA. He's just like, he's just a kid out there hooping. Like, he just loves the game. And then to watch him, like, go through high school, put 50 in the state tournament on my alma mater at Franklin, and then go to UW and hit the game winner on Arizona, like, in the Pac-12 tournament. And then to not get drafted, but to me help him through his draft process, walk him through the steps, right, is – I don't have any sons and, you know, nor will I even try to say Isaiah's like my son, but I have five daughters, but it's like a proud daddy moment. And 
but he's more like a brother to me. And so when his career abruptly came to a halt um, because of his injury after being a perennial all-star, almost leading the league in scoring, right, and playing for an organization that I played for that I, I know is, was a good first-class organization, but it, it just didn't end well for him over there, and I didn't treat him right. And, you know, I just won't say when I got to this job, when I got this opportunity, um, you know, I would never turn my back on somebody that gave everything they had to this game. And if I can give a guy a second chance, and that's sometimes that's what the G League's about, uh, I would do everything in my power. And to see Isaiah back to where he was and, and to regain his form and to be able to sit on that sideline and coach him, I'd love to take the credit and be like, yeah, I told him, man, do that. No, I really just gave him the rock and let him hoop and let him be great and do what he does well and reinforce the good things. And, man, he averaged 45. Lakers called him up, came back for three more games, lit up for a 50-piece. Next thing you know, Charlotte picks him up. So hopefully, man, he'll sign for it with Charlotte for the rest of the season. And, you know, it's really what the G League is all about, giving guys opportunities um, to live out their dreams and, and get to the next level, whether you're a 10th, year vet or a guy that's a rookie trying to make his way or like our team we got three guys out of a local tryout that shit professional basketball no way but they came to the tryout we selected them we gave them opportunity we seen something in them they seen something in themselves and they've been have a heck of a run and i've had 30 players um this season maybe maybe 31 and i can tell you we've had seven guys called up to the nba and as bad as I play wow. for the win, sometimes in the G League, that is the win. And so I'm, I'm very proud of uh, what we've been able to accomplish in a short amount of time. And we're in the fifth seed right now, getting ready for the playoffs, five games left. And I'll tell you what, Hope, I don't know. If we win this G League championship, no, I'm speaking into existence. <laughs> when we win this G League championship. Well, I'm going to have to tune, I'm gonna have to tune in now because I, I, yep. I'm not familiar with the G League. I don't know how many people are. I'm sure that the um, basketball purists obviously are. Is this, is this the next league down then? This is it. Yeah. This is one step away, one step away from your, your dream coming true, man, from your dream becoming a reality. And it's not only to develop um, players, but it's also to develop coaches. And I can tell you, you know, again, women have a special place in my heart and I hired on my staff. My first assistant is African American woman who coached in the women's game in college for over 10 years. And so I gave her an opportunity on the men's side. So, you know, when you talk about growing the game and giving people opportunities, you know, that's what I'm all about. Sounds like you're doing everything just right, man. Right. You know, you're hiring hopefully based off of um, her skill set, you know, as well. And and giving people opportunities and it, it sounds like you're right where you should be. And I know that you probably miss being on the court, but Man, you, you have a probably a long life ahead of you in coaching and you, you're probably going to change a lot of lives for it. You, you sounds to me like you're right where you need to be. No, you know what? God has a plan for all of us. And he already told me, man, my passion is for people and my purpose is to inspire others, man. And, you know, I'm able to do that with through basketball. Like that's the platform I use and I'm going to continue to use it. I'm a basketball lifer <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm just I'm just happy to be blessed to be able to you know bless others. Um, five daughters. Yes. And they into sports. Oh, they quit on me. <laughs> so the reason why I actually am really coaching is 
because my daughter, when I was with the Dallas Mavericks, her sixth grade year, I started a rec team. Now, off this rec team, fast forward, there is seven Division I players. Two of them have graduated, gotten college degrees. And it's like this team was just a rec team. That first year, we go to a national championship in Tennessee, and we lose at the buzzer. So from that day forward, every offseason, I chased that championship, coaching them girls, driving a 15-passenger van across the country because of my ego and, and trying to win another championship. Now, we've won a national championship last year on, on the Adidas circuit, so I finally got back and got one. Uh, but in the midst of it all, my daughters quit on me. They're like, no, nah, you're crazy. This is too much. Like y'all too Every intense. single one quit. Yeah, they're like, it's too intense. But I will tell you, I got some great assistant coaches now. They still make every trip. They sit right next to me on the bench. And I always served it as, you know, coaching my daughters, which is another time for me to spend um, time with them. You know, there's no greater joy and there's no greater relationship to me than a father and his daughter. You know, that bond and that relationship is so special. And probably because I have five. So I got five different relationships and uh, each one of them are special. And so, you know, two of my daughters, one graduated um, last year from TCU. And then my others at Arizona State. Don't tell anybody. She's a Sun Devil and she's in her junior year. So at least they still went to school, but they quit hooping. Well, speaking about TCU, though, it looks like Arizona almost went down last night. Yeah. Yeah, but that's March Madness. Like Arizona's favorite, they're picked to win it. I want them to win. You know, I coached a lot of those guys last year. Um, I actually coached all of them last year at Arizona and built that, helped build that foundation for them. And uh, their work ethic is crazy, though. You know, those guys were 6 a.m. every morning. You remember them college workouts, 6 a.m. They were dedicated. You know, they were committed to it. And now in year two, it's finally paying off for them. And man, they're just playing on a different level. But give TCU credit. They came to scrap last night. Um, it, it was a joy to watch. So you're, take, you're taking Arizona. I always read against Duke. I thought Duke was going to go out last night against Michigan State. Michigan State had it. They had it. They did. They did. They did. But uh, I'm going to go for, I mean, I got to go for Gonzaga. I'm from Eastern Washington. Right? I know. That's I know. not the sexy pick for me. I thought Gonzaga's best chance. To win it all was last year. Probably. But, you know, you got to give Mark Few credit and his staff. I mean, every year, like they're either in the Sweet 16 or further. And it's just, you know, it's just what he's built there. You know, that culture, that basketball culture, you know, in Spokane, east of the mountains, like it's, it's, it's pretty good. Like they, they compete. They got some dogs in that team. And, you know, they're always going to be in the thick of And things. I don't know who would want to live in Spokane. Not I. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, shoot. I, I I feel like I could keep you on, waste your time for another hour. You are such a privilege to have. Um, no doubt. I, I'm even more of a fan now than I than I was before. Um, so, Jason, thank you so much for your time, for your honesty, for almost bringing me to tears for your passion, for your emotion, for helping kids, for helping women, for being a great father, a great son, it sounds like as well. So um, I have nothing but respect for you. Thanks for having me on. Tell Jay I said, what up? Yep, I'm a big fan. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Hope Solo Speaks is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. 
The producers are Andrew Emmer and Cliff Augustin. Marissa Rivas is the acting director of sports podcasts for Sirius XM. Special thanks to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts.